You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. Hi, I'm Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. My dad, Bo Hilleberg, a lifelong outdoorsman, founded Hilleberg 50 years ago, and we've been family-owned, family-operated, and European-made ever since. We proudly specialize in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. Our tents have been specifically chosen by polar expeditions, mountaineers, backpackers, and avid outdoor adventurers just like you all over the world. We build tents for everyone's adventure. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AAJ. Our guest this episode is Nicolas Favres from Belgium. Over the past decade or more, Nico has been prolific in the pursuit of new routes and free ascents in far-flung locations, Baffin Island, China, Patagonia. But this summer, with COVID-19 limiting travel, he found an adventure much closer to home. His partner was Sebastian Berta, who was 13 years younger than Nico and a rising star of Belgian climbing. Both grew up at the hard school of Freyer, widely known as one of Europe's toughest limestone crags. At Seb's suggestion, they decided to attempt the famed Alpine trilogy of long, hard rock climbs in the mountains, but to try them in a single season, a feat that had never been done. And with the ravages of climate change weighing on their minds, they decided to link the routes by bike, towing all their gear and trailers. At Nico's suggestion, they brought along their two dogs. In just 15 days, they rode across parts of Austria, Germany, and Switzerland, and completed all three routes in one day of sense. Again, a first. Chris Kalman spoke with Nico about this remarkable tour, and about Nico's thoughts on the future of low-impact climbing adventures. Well, uh, Nico, thanks for making the time to talk with me today. Um, oh, you're welcome. Here to chat about the Alpine Trilogy, which is a collection of three of the most notable hard Alpine routes in the Alps by three of the uh, most notable European climbers of the 90s. Uh, there's Thomas Huber's End of Silence, uh, Stefan Glowick's uh I'm going to butcher the name. How do you say the glory? Yeah, I'm butchering it too. It's, I think, this Kaiser No Clider. Um, okay. But, yeah, I'm not sure if I say it right, but yeah, it's a complicated name. <laughs> what does that name mean? It's the new clothes of the emperor. And I think ah, it comes mm-hmm. from um, some kind of a legend, I think, in Austria or something. Okay. Yeah. And that's... That's in the Wilder Kaiser Massif in Austria. Yeah, correct. And yeah. then there's Beat Kammerlander's Silbergeier in the Rotikon in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and the really interesting thing about these routes is they were all put up in 1994 by basically three of the top players in the field at the time. What do you think the history is behind that, Nico? Do you think they were trying to one-up each other? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not very sure, but I'm sure they kind of. Uh, yeah, I I don't know who who put which one first, but uh, I'm sure he must have uh, given a little bit the pressure of the others to also put 
a nice hard climb. Um, yeah, they they are they are all like really really nice and 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 hard in the way that they are really technical the routes. And um, yeah, I guess it was kind of the style back in the nineties. They were uh, a lot of the routes were more technical. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure about the history of like uh, if it was kind of a like a little competition between each of them. When when you say technical, what can you tell me a little more what you're talking about? Are you talking about like the way that you protect the roots or the physical movement? Is it because they're vertical instead of overhanging? Like what exactly does that mean? Yeah, it's uh, the the the. I think only end of silence require uh, a little bit of trad gear. All of the other, like a uh, Silbergeier and uh, uh, Kaiser Neuklider, they doesn't require any any uh, protection. No, I mean by technical, I mean they are really uh, like uh, like the old school style of climbing, more vertical and really uh, like tricky because it's vertical. The holds are smaller, so there is much more. Um, like details to take in consideration if you want to really optimize the movements and 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 make it the the easiest uh, possible. So they are quite demanding in that sense because um, it's it's not as obvious obviously as if you climb like a, a very steep route where you have um, ho- obvious holds. So yeah, that's that's uh, why I say it, uh, quite demanding technically. Gotcha. So these are all 514A routes, which uh, certainly is not the hardest grade that you've climbed before. Do you feel like that technical style sometimes makes like a 514A feel a little bit more challenging than maybe like a 514 plus in a different kind of style? Yeah, the um, differently like your um your physical skill i i can imagine people that are way above the level can struggle to climb such pitch uh quickly because there is much more to learn uh especially because it's so technical than like a, a very physical route where it's obvious what moves how, how you need to do them uh so in that sense it's it's quite demanding um but uh, i have to say that uh I think I climb well, but I, I actually like on the ground uh, uh, at the sports crag, uh, kind of old school, so similar style. I I have actually never climbed uh, like fourteen, like two fourteen a that I have never tried before in a day. So I, huh. we're really? both me and Seb. We are, we grew up climbing in, in Freyr. It's the Belgian crag. And it's quite similar style, but uh, let's say the grade is uh, well, uh, like on the ground uh, in a cliff like Freyr is it's harder than the grades uh, we found on these routes. And so it's it's kind of a, yeah, there is some, so many ways to grade the routes. And these days there is so many uh, kind of fluctuation in the grades because there's a new, new school crags where grades tend to be a little softer and the old school crags where it's kind of, uh, yeah, hard for the grade. So it's kind sure. of hard to, to decide like, uh, uh, how to grade a route. But, uh, yeah, I think both me and Seb, we, we kind of agree that the, 
all of these roots, actually, all the hard pitch on, on these roots were a little bit, let's say, soft. I climbed, for example, uh, the, the, the Salate headwall is rated only 13B, but it's like way harder than, I think, even a 14A of the trilogy. I, but uh, as I said, the, the grades are not really relevant. I mean, if you want to give a correct grade, then we can start talking about the grade and, and changing the grade. But the difficulty really was um, more about that these pitch were really technical and demanding. And um, in that sense, I, I can imagine the, for a lot of people, it could feel really hard if you don't find the, the best um, the, the best beta. Right. Um, I'm glad that you brought up Seb because uh, I want to ask about who is this Seb guy? I looked him up on Instagram and he only had like a few thousand followers. And then I learned that he just got the seventh free ascent of the nose uh, just last year and Mm -hmm. was even the first person to ever free it ground up. So he didn't come in from the top and mini traction things like most people do nowadays. Is he just, you know, some (laughs) like just another Belgian crusher? Uh, I feel like if he were American, he'd be you know, sponsored by all the companies and we'd be watching a feature film about him. Yeah. Yeah. He's really amazing climber. And, um, yeah, he, he actually, I know him since he's like maybe eight years old because his dad has a climbing gym in Belgium and, and his dad used to compete. And I, I did a bit of competition, uh, with his dad. I remember he, he asked me to sign a, a poster when he was a kid and he has a, my, uh, he has my picture in his bedroom still, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he kind of followed the same path as I did. He, he started climbing the gym, then he climbed a lot in our home crag. Is like the the, the the Belgium guy at the moment who has uh, repeat all the hard routes in in, in Belgium, and he's uh, been uh-huh. developing harder climbs, and then it kind of tr- transferred his skill uh, onto bigger routes in in, in Yosemite. He also competed in the World Cup until last year. Like the thing that's really unique with Seb is that he has a really cool attitude and he's not afraid to to dare to try things and to get a little bit outside of his comfort zone to mm. to try some some bold things, like for example the nose in a day, but also like you know, we did the trilogy with him, but also before he he, he did like um, Bella Vista. It's in the Trecime. He did also mm-hmm. one day, uh, one day free ascent. He climbed the Voie Petit uh, uh, in Grand Capucin, also uh, in one day. And um, mm. yeah, I think a lot of these days, the strong climbers climbing in the Alpine, they they don't commit to get out of their uh, comfort zone so much, um, and. I think climbing with him actually made me get out of my comfort zone because I was influenced by him in in this positive way. And I'm sure if I had been Mm. partnering with somebody else, maybe we would have, uh, you know, on the trilogy, maybe we would have uh, first checked out the pitches and and then uh, come back uh, another day to try more. And then, but with Seb, it was Mm. like, yeah, let's go. And we, we, we give everything directly. We try to send each pitch from the ground. And if we have to take 10 tries to send uh, one pitch, uh, doesn't matter. We don't give up. And, and Cool. Yeah, he's smart um, and he's strong. And yeah, 
I think uh, for sure uh, in 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 the future, I'm sure he will uh, he will do some some great things. Cool. Yeah, he's not so focused on trying to get ton of followers, and and actually he used to have a regular job until uh, this uh, March, and only since uh-huh. March he's kind of committed to try to just climb and 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 see what he can do with it. Super cool. Well, maybe one day you'll have a poster of him on your walls. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> so it was Seb's idea, wasn't it, to do the trilogy in a single season? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. was it yours? No, it was his. I always wanted to do the the trilogy. I had climbed already Silver Geyer and, and these other two routes uh, looked really nice. So I, I always wanted to do it. But uh, no, actually, I had other plans for this summer, but uh, because of the COVID situation, then I had to cancel the, the plan. And then I, I got in touch with Seb because I knew he was kind of uh, in a similar position. And uh, I proposed him to do some climbs. But then uh, he told me, ah, why not try to do the, the trilogy? So it was the project to do the trilogy, but to connect each climb uh, by si- cycling and uh, when he proposed to me, I, I directly said yes. But then I, I told him, wait a moment, but uh, one condition, uh, we have to take our dogs with us. Because he, <laughs> <laughs> he has a dog and he was actually planning to bring it to his parents in Belgium. And and me, I, I had just adopted uh, a dog too. So Oh, he, nice. And I know this first month when you adopt a dog is really important to, to be with a right. dog. So I... I told him, okay, I join, but um, we take the dogs with us. And and he also accepted, but then uh, he admitted later that he was like, fuck, Nico, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, what's this idea to bring the dogs? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Did you ever consider hauling them up the roots? (laughs) No, we, um, each, each time we left the dog at the base, and it was quite cool to have uh, them together. So they were the two dogs and mm. they got along really well. And then they they were just uh, chilling at the base. And, and yeah, for my, my dog, which is still a puppy, like it was good because then uh, it, she was not freaking out uh, because there was the, uh, this other dog with her. And uh, yeah, so it was cool. Yeah, I think it was a cool trip for the dogs too because they were always outside and and very close. You know what they mostly what they like is to be with their owner and and to be to get the right. attention and, and in this sense they they get a lot of it. So, I have a technical question about the dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so if you're leaving them at the base I'm I'm just looking at the Wilder Kaiser route that you guys did, mm-hmm. um, and you were climbing on that all through the night. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've actually got another question about that later. But so, uh, did you just leave food? Like, are they leashed up? Uh, what do you do with a dog when you're going to be doing like a very long alpine push? <laughs> yeah, it, and the Wilder Kaiser, we were not expecting to to stay so long. <laughs> But we mm. uh, we always leave water and food and, and, and a blanket and something that they can ca- kind of recognize or smell uh, on it. So they kind of, I think it helps uh-huh. them to uh, uh, realize that uh, we will come back uh, to them. Um, in the, uh, the problem uh, was uh, 
for for my dog is she's still a puppy and uh, if there was any way she could follow me like if it was a kind of a slab at the beginning of the climb that she could mm-hmm. climb up she would try to and so that was kind of a i i, I tried a couple times <laughs> to get leave her unleashed and it was uh quite scary so i in especially in a wilder kaiser then um it was kind of a problem for that so we le- left them both leashed up um together and uh, with uh, water and, and food and and, and the cool thing is like we had kind of some, um, we could vocally exchange with the dogs because we're right uh, on the wall next to them. So uh-huh. and it was kind of, um, yeah, they, sometimes they would, uh, uh, I, for example, just as the night came in, uh, my, my dog started crying a little bit and then I, I could... Oh. Uh, I, I could talk to the dog from the wall and then she she was uh, she came down a little bit but uh yeah I, I wouldn't uh, let's say I, I wouldn't recommend leaving a dog like for so long alone this was kind of unexpected sure. but uh, the on the other climb it was just like a, a day and would come back uh, before night and yeah. and and like this it seems like quite uh, quite okay for them didn't seem to be traumatized and yeah and if i still need to do a little bit of training for her to really the, the ideal case scenario would be uh to have her unleashed below the the cliff that's that that would be the best and i had two dogs before and and i i could manage to teach them that and that was pretty cool but uh, right, obviously right. it's a little bit of a, an investment because you it's a little bit you take some risk and you also risk that you might have to bail uh, on your climb because your dog doesn't behave like the way you want. Sure. So sure. it's like it can cool. bring some uh, extra adventure. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that you said that because I'm a dog owner and my fiance and I don't always agree upon <laughs> what <laughs> what constitutes appropriate dog care uh, when yeah. it comes to multi-pitch climbs. <laughs> I know so probably... I'll tell her Nico said it's okay. <laughs> I know probably many, some people would say it's not okay, but um, honestly, I think most people, they have own dog and their dog stays at home while they go to work and they are alone at home. And, and I don't see really the difference if you are, if, if you keep them in a nice place outside and if it's only like occasionally. And if they're not freaking out, I think it's, it's okay. And we saw actually the evolution uh, since the first climb we did and we left them to um, uh, the end of silence. Uh, they were really chill. Like they understood hmm. what was going on that that would come right. back. And, and also, you know, it was kind of intense for them too, all the trip because uh, on the bike, we were yeah. trailing them. Uh, we had some trailers and they, they were behind. and But they were not sleeping. They were like 100% focused and uh, <laughs> sometimes if we would be going uphill and there was a, a road with no traffic, they could uh, walk next to us riding bikes, mm, mm-hmm. but they were quite exhausted at the end of the day. So when they had like kind of a day of break, I think it was good for them too. Sure. All right. All right. Enough about the dogs. I want to know a little <laughs> bit more about the climbing uh-huh. um, on the, on the Wilder Kaiser. So you guys, said you felt you said you felt like maybe 15 times each in a interview with rock and ice mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm just trying to think like 
if I've ever fallen 15 times on a multi-pitch and <laughs> continue to attempt it, like how do you stay motivated? And, and more importantly, how do you stay optimistic after falling on a route 15 times? Yeah, I, have, I had never done this before, actually. And my idea was that because uh, we were really, after we did Silver Geyer in a day, we really wanted to do everything in the day. So we really pushed that style. And my idea was that we we give everything until it's obvious that we have no more power to, to we have no more chance to do it. And somehow there was always some kind of light that we could do it. So we, yeah, didn't give up. Uh, it was hard to be motivated. And, and for sure, that's what I mean when we get, like getting out of our comfort zone. We're really not in our comfort zone when you've been climbing all day and we arrive at 11 o'clock below the last hard pitch. And uh, we both, I gave a few more, like on on the trilogy, I, I basically every time I gave like a few more tries than Seb. Um, Seb was a little bit stronger and he gave a little bit of uh, extra pressure on me to, to send. But uh, we really both were at, on the limits. And uh, actually on, on, on the Wilder Kaiser, we the, the the last hard pitch had like kind of a bouldery first section, which is really the crux of the route. And after that, you you are into this maybe seven C seven C plus kind of stamina ish end. And we really thought once we pass this first like ten meter kind of bouldery section, we cannot fall there. And eventually, me and Seth, we both fell at the end of the seven C oh. stamina. <laughs> and when we fell there. We both thought, fuck, now we wasted all the energy we have left. But uh, oh. but finally, we yeah, we we recovered and we 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 tried again and we we get, we got it. And I think the key also for giving so many tries is the the, the pitch were not so physical, so it was quite technical. And yeah, I guess the main difficulty was of co- of course it's hard, but the the skin. Uh, because uh, obviously, when you have more mm-hmm. less skin, we're really close to uh, to tearing hole, holes in in our tips, and uh, when you have less skin, also your fingers sweat a lot more, so right. um, you can more easily uh, slip off the holes. Yeah, especially hard on like vertical limestone, small crimps, painful too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I, Nico, I think you're probably pretty well known in the States for your climbing videos, um, often with Sean Villanueva and your brother Olivier. You guys are always crushing these gnarly alpine walls all over the world. Um, but I would say what makes the, me- the video so memorable is really not the climbing, uh, not to say it's not impressive, but it's like the humor and the music and the whole attitude. Um, is this sort of a Belgian thing or is that like just you guys in particular? And why do you, why do you think that that is such an important part of the experience for you guys? Yeah, I actually was really surprised when I climbed with Seb because I felt like, Hey, but wait a moment. He has really like kind of similar. I feel the same kind of uh, 
spirits as when I climb with Sean, it's, it's, um, yeah, I was like, is that, I was kind of wondering, is that something Belgium or what? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's kind of a good question. I was kind of surprised, uh, in a good way. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think for me, I really, I mean, we can talk about how hard things are and stuff, but this, you know, in the video kind of speaks for itself. You can see the climbing and, and it gets tiring also to, to talk about that. I, for me, what I, I, I prefer is to share the adventure and to share the, maybe the, the positive uh, things and, and, and also the music I really like to share. I think, um, the best the best way to understand difficulties for the climbing to speak about itself <laughs> that makes sense um but i i find it very impressive i i remember one film i think it was uh the dodo's delight i can't remember if it was that one or a different one but there was one film i recall where you guys were climbing i think with sylvia vidal and she oh. was like uh aiding up the pitch and then you were trying to free it and I remember watching you take these just ginormous whippers, like mm -hmm. on really small gear, on really hard climbing. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, like, if that were me up in the mountains, I don't know, like, I would not have such a light attitude about it. You know, I would be scared and nervous and like afraid I was going to injure myself or worse. Mm -hmm. Um but you guys are just chilling, playing music, making jokes. How do you maintain such a light atmosphere when you're in such serious situations? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, definitely. Uh, I, actually, the movie you're talking about, about is Asgard Jamming. It's not Dodo's Delight. And gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think the music and, and everything around kind of um, reminds you that you are there not for the hard climbing. You are there just because you enjoy to be there and the climbing is just... For me, it's just something for me to, and I, when I push myself in the climbing, it's something that connects me deeper with nature and the elements, and, mm. and it gives me, uh, gives me more in the end. Um, yeah. But but of course, in the movie, you, I mean, we show the image that we show, and we like you know when the camera is in front of my face, maybe I look like I'm um, goofing around all the time. But uh, I was kind of uh, shitting my pants when I, <laughs> I gave the second <laughs> try. Yeah, actually, <laughs> uh, on this particular pitch, like I ha I, I didn't expect to fall because I mm. uh, we ate the pitch first. And I, I worked on it uh, with the rope from above because there was no protection. Mm -hmm. And so eight mm -hmm. climbs, so we couldn't add protection. We had to kind of respect the, the eight climbing. Also because we had um, Sylvia Vidal with us, she had really strong uh, eight climbing uh, ethic. And also right. she... Right. Uh, she uh, really, um, she doesn't want that uh, the free climbing uh, effect has an effect on the, the aid climbing. So she really, we felt a big pressure from her not to change the the, the original aid climb. So we, we climbed without uh, adding anything. And so, so I, I worked the pitch from the top, but I didn't take into consideration that it was a really long pitch and, uh, you know, when you climb uh, on, on the really small feet and you, you, it's like a 60 meter pitch, 
then once um, at the uh, the crux was at the end, then you have the weight of mm. the rope also adding, right, and, and right. your feet getting tired, and so I fell in 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 a place that I had uh, I didn't expect to fall um, <laughs> because I had, I had not the same feeling that I had, that I that I had when I had the rope from the top, and so I did right. this massive uh, whipper. I didn't hurt myself. It was kind of a blank ro- wall, but still a little slabby. So not really the kind of uh, fall you yeah. want to take. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but in the movie, it looks like uh, we are goofing around and stuff. But but actually, on the second try, I was really scared. I don't know. Yeah. Somehow, when I fell, I thought, okay, I can give uh, directly another try. And then uh, after when things kind of sink in my mind... Um, things became way heavier and actually I almost couldn't sleep the nights because I knew that the next morning I had to give the try and you know when the whole ascent that it depends on you committing to try this and to to try to send this pitch because you know it was the first hard pitch and and, you know if you know already that you didn't send the first pitch then maybe you kind of lose a little bit uh, the excitement Mm. to to push yourself on the higher part of the world right um i want to kind of switch gears back to the trilogy you guys you really just scorched it i mean uh you did it in just under two weeks no one had ever climbed the trilogy even in a season before um, and you added bicycles and you added dogs and you added a fourth 514A called Headless Children, which was also on the Roticon. Um, it kind of sounds like you might need a new trilogy, uh, something that would give you guys a little more challenge. Do you think that such a thing could exist? Uh, and like, what routes would it be? And would there be any point to something like that? Yeah, I think they could. There is definitely room because there is a lot of potential. Like in in all these walls, actually, that where we climbed, there is still room for harder climbs. I mean, I mean, and also it's just you can just choose whatever is the new trilogy. But uh, yeah, it would be cool huh, to have like a kind of next level uh, trilogy. Yeah, maybe this will be our next uh, trip to open them. <laughs> yeah, but uh, at the same time, it's. Putting up such quality route requires a lot of time, a lot of dedication, and 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 uh, yeah, it's not something you can do uh, so quickly. Right. So, who would be the three climbers that would be kind of the equivalent of like Huber, ah. Kammerlander, and uh, <laughs> and Gloax? <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, Adam Andra, Alex Megos, and um, who would be the third? Um, Seb. Oh, Sebastian Bert, maybe, yeah. <laughs> hey, could be. Yeah, yeah. that would be that cool. That would be huh? pretty cool to see. Yeah, like in, in each, each uh, tackling, mm-hmm. uh, like tackling in the ninth grade could be, yeah, would be, I guess the, the difficulty is to find the lines and I mean, to find something right. at the same time logical, beautiful and of such difficulty. I mean, as you can as you know, it's much more rare to find a 9A than a 6A. Uh, and and it's sure. like actually finding a 9A uh, on this kind of wall is really uh, challenging. It's very rare thing. So, yeah, yeah. I think this this is the, 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 the biggest challenge, actually, is to find these lines and 
have them natural. Obviously, uh, I'm talking about natural lines. Sure, sure. So I want to read a quick quote from you that I read in the uh, piece in Rock and Ice about your guys' climb of the trilogy. You said, in the last few years, I took too many planes to go climbing. This COVID situation made me think that it's time to change my approach to my adventures. So our main idea with linking the climbs by bike was to reduce our carbon footprint and to inspire people by showing that we don't need to waste so much CO2 to have a cool adventure. My question is, do you expect this to be a permanent change to how you think about climbing? Or will it be back to places like Kyrgyzstan and El Chalten as soon as it's safe and responsible to do so again? No, I really uh, think that I w- I um, am planning to to change my approach on a permanent level, but I don't say that I will not also in like I will not uh, go occasionally and take flights to to places like Chalten. At this time, uh, I'm not ready to commit to say I'm not taking planes anymore, but I really want to reduce them and I want to try to. Um, make expedition that are uh, have a way lower carbon footprints definitely yeah and I, I, actually it's uh, it opens a whole new world of adventure which could be quite cool and uh, it's just kind of a matter of uh, creativity to to make them happen and to to find these cool ideas maybe make trips that are much slower so. Uh, m- much mm. much much longer i mean um still go very far but maybe not take uh, not make a three week expedition but more like a five months expedition how do you think the uh your sponsors and just like the climbing companies in general would feel about swip like swapping out big international trips for things closer to home yeah, I, th- I think there is quite. I'm I'm actually very uh, impressed by how uh, well received our our trilogy uh, trip uh, was. Uh, the community is, is waiting for such um, such such action from from uh, climb from the climbing community. So I, I think uh, the the companies are, are quite quite happy to yeah to see such trip come out because it's i think the community is uh, is uh, is get, getting inspired by by this because we know we have to do something about our uh, footprint and and um or often we kind of uh, blind ourselves about uh, the environmental impacts that all our trips uh, have and and i i think for a lot of people um, they they like to see that uh, the pro climbers they 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 start to to change their approach and and to to consider the climbing in line with their environmental values. Yeah, the challenge for me in the past few years was that uh, sometimes, let's say, I had a, a company who support me that was part of an event maybe, and part of their uh, um, supporting the event is to bring someone there, and and I had a few situations where I had to fly almost on the other side of the uh, of the world just to show my face and maybe talk 20 mm. minutes and this is completely ridiculous mm-hmm. and this is only because uh the flights are so cheap like uh, like last a couple of years ago i flew to california uh both ways for 350 euro it's uh wow 
yeah, you, you know, when you cross France by train, it's more expensive than this. So <laughs> it's kind of... Uh, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So there is something there that's not uh, quite uh, um, in balance. Um, right. One of the things that I think is really interesting about this um, this Alpine trilogy is that you guys aren't doing new routes, you know? And like for the Cutting Edge podcast... I think almost every interview we've done has been people doing new routes. Um, the only thing with that is new routes generally means, you know, you're like, there's less new routes in the Alps than there are in Kyrgyzstan because people have been climbing in the Alps for a long time. Sometimes it feels to me like the crux of doing a new route is just having the time and money to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, actually repeating an old route that was put up by a, you know, a visionary climber could be quite a bit more challenging than just, you know, taking a plane or getting helicoptered into somewhere where no one's been climbing and just picking the most obvious, easiest line. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious, do you think that in the years to come, we'll see more emphasis placed on repeating old routes? Yeah, I think both will always exist and it's diff- really completely different adventure. Obviously, when you repeat, then it's, uh, you already know kind of uh, what you are committing yourself into and you reduce a little bit the adventure aspect. So it's never going to be the same. But uh, I already see it. Like, I think uh, in the climbing community, uh, there is less and less. Uh, like movement of climbers putting up roots. Like if you go to Yosemite, you don't see a lot of people putting up roots like it used to be back in, right. in, in the days. And I think in the Alps, it's kind of similar because also there is a lot more opened already. So it's yeah. the obvious lines are already done and you need to have like really, um, you have to look more for, for those rare uh, still possibilities uh, and then if you don't have the possibility to open at home then probably you you will uh, learn a bit less how to do it so maybe you will be less comfortable to do it and maybe yeah maybe there will be a tendency that less and less people will put up new routes um, I think it's already happening um, and as you say it's much easier to open new routes when you go to a uh, like a, a wall which is completely virgin and you can just pick any line. And, and so it's, it's easier to to talk about it, even if it's not cutting edge uh, difficulty. While if you repeat, obviously, then uh, we will talk about it only maybe if it's uh, a little bit cutting edge or different. So it's harder to get sure. this kind of recognition in the media. Sure. But for me, putting up a new route is much more powerful. It's a much deeper connection with, with the wall, with the mountains, and 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 yeah, it will never match uh, uh, repeating routes. But it's also cool sometimes to like. I really enjoy to do this trilogy. Uh, it's it's cool. It's you you have less to think about. The route is already put up, and it's just more about enjoying the climbing. And this is also right. really really cool because in the end, when you open the route. Um, yeah, you either you climb things that are easier, so you can climb a lot, so you climb many pitch. But if you if you are looking for um, routes that are quite challenging, then you will end up climbing really little on, in an expedition because 
uh, a big sure. ball with uh, uh, 14A pitches. Like the pitches will take a while to set up, to protect, to, and so it's quite a slow process. Um, it's different, and you lose your shape. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a different process, and and it's it's cool too, but uh, it's different. <laughs> yeah, I I think I feel like when you're putting up a new route, you have maybe a deeper connection with the mountain than you would if you were just repeating a route. But when you repeat a route, especially if it's one that really like sticks with you and it was a, a quite a challenge it's almost like you have a deeper experience with uh humanity you know with the person it, sometimes i almost feel connected to the person that put up that route even if i don't ever know them because it's mm -hmm. like i get to understand the way they read the wall and the way they thought would be interesting to go and you know if they didn't bolt a section and it was quite scary you know you learn a little bit about them that way I wonder if that's part of the draw of repeating. And and I'd be curious on these routes, I mean, climbing the routes of these three legendary climbers, do you feel like you experience some of that? Also, there is the other way around where you repeat the route and you're like, ah, damn it, why did they put uh, this ball there and not there? Or right, why? Right, so, right. Sometimes you can also look in that way. But but here there are all the three really quality climbs and... and, mm. and uh, put up in in a in a nice nice style yeah and, and it was quite cool because we were this time i was not in touch with beat camelander but i know him but uh we were mm. a little bit in touch with stefan glovax and and actually on the last on the end of silence um we uh, we chatted with uh thomas we we saw each other in the in the morning the day before and he gave us some cool. some little tips and, and it was quite cool and i think the he was really psyched for us, so that was nice. Yeah, yeah, it kind of throws us back in East, uh, like in time, and and yeah, I can imagine that in the nineties it was really cutting edge. These three climbs, and yeah, it's impressive. Super cool. Mm. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to add? What What do you think comes next for you uh, uh, during this crazy year that we're having? <laughs> Yeah, I, um, actually, I'm planning to go to Greece if it's possible. Um, I cool. actually I'm considering going there by bike now, <laughs> but it's not nice. like I will ride my bike. I live in the Alps, in the French Alps, but it's not like if I will ride my bike to Greece. I just hop on the train with my bike, my trailer, <laughs> my dog. Yeah. And then uh, uh -huh. from from the train I arrive to the um, to a harbor in Italy. From there I take a ferry uh -huh. to Greece, and then there I just have to do maybe fifty kilometers. And there I my actually uh, my parents they have a, a boat there they can borrow. And uh, last year we already nice. did uh, a lot of uh, DVS exploration, and uh, uh -huh. yeah, it was amazing. There are some coasts there with thousands of caves. There is really endless possibility for for DWS, uh, and um, yeah, and it's like paradise. The water is twenty twenty eight degrees. Was twenty eight degrees last year, and uh, this year for sure will be the same. And wow, yeah. yeah, it's quite cool to mix climbing with a little bit of like holiday feeling, right? Sailing and fishing and and doing a bit of diving and yeah, 
So that's uh, my plan for October, November. Or, or also, we there is a few really cool uh, uh, kind of newly developed uh, sport crack close to Leonidio, which I can just park the boat just below. So from the cliff, I can even see the boat, and and there also we will probably stop for for a few weeks to 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 do some sport climbing. Yeah, nice. Well, that sounds lovely. Here in the United States, we'll be having a terrifying election and oh, yes. uh, dealing with COVID still. So yeah. <laughs> enjoy your time in Greece. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Nico, for chatting. I, I had a great time talking with you and it was cool to hear more about uh, the Alpine Trilogy. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for taking the time to give me this interview. Nico and Seb completed the trilogy quicker than expected, and with time to spare, they decided to head to the north face of the Eiger. In an 18-hour ascent, they repeated the 33-pitch route called Odyssey, with difficulties up to 513C. Two other well-known European climbers embarked on a similar alpine bike tour this summer. Carol North and Ines Papert biked from east to west across Switzerland, towing all their climbing and camping gear. The two women hit long, classic routes all along the way. The AHA editors are hearing about many closer-to-home adventures all over the world this COVID summer, and we hope to share another one with you in the very next episode of The Cutting Edge. The Cutting Edge is presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. I encourage you to visit hilleberg.com to learn about their full line of mountain-ready tents. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald wishing you happy climbs.